Well, we are continuing to study the most powerful sermon that was ever preached on holiness, the Sermon on the Mount. This week, we want to follow right away from last week's sermon, because the two are very much connected, even as it shows in Scripture. We want to talk about divorce. Now, before I begin this message, uh, I want to say to you that Satan will be try, trying to work this morning um, in two ways, especially, he'll be especially active in two ways. First of all, those of you who are divorced, he'll try to come and give you a sense of condemnation so that you cannot hear what Jesus has to say. That is not the object of this message. There is no condemnation in Christ. And so therefore, we want you to understand that what we're saying starts now. You can't go back. It starts now. And what we're saying is Jesus' words to you as well. Second, we will be talking about the kind of love that God intended us to have, the ideal long-term love. And I know that there will be a number of single people in this congregation that Satan will come to you and begin to get you to be afraid. What if I never have that kind of love? What if nobody ever loves me like that again? Don't let him do that to you. The great lover, God himself, will be and provide what you need. And so therefore you must trust in that. Now having said that, let me alert us to this cultural mentality that we have that Jesus talks about was very much like his. This week I read one of the best secular books on divorce uh, and the, the uh, phenomena of increasing divorce in our country that I've ever read. Barbara Defoe Whitehead has written a book, published in the last six months, I think, entitled The Divorce Culture. And in that book, she says this, Divorce is not simply an interpersonal failure. There are forces in our culture that encourage those things that lead to divorce. We have had a significant change in the last 30 years in this culture that would change our values in therapy, personal therapy, from obligations to others and to the society in general to focus our obligations on ourselves, our own health and our own growth. She says... There are political traditions in this country that would encourage the mentality of divorce. What is our revolution except a divorce from the mother country to, to try all over again? What was the original confederacy that really didn't want to be involved with one another? And what does building a more perfect union really plant in our minds as a goal? And she says there's also commercially in our merchandising, that mentality that points us toward non-permanence, that, that points us towards uh, getting rid of what we got to get rid or to get a hold of something better. For example, listen to this. Hey there. Hey. What can I help you find today? Ah, uh, nothing. I'm just looking. Oh, sure. Go ahead. See anything you like? Yeah, I see a lot. Mm. <laughs> Tell me what you're driving now. 
Ah, oh, just your basic four-door sedan. Family man. Yeah, you bet. Do a little driving on business trips. Ah, uh, two, three a year. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you, uh, what are you doing looking over at the sport utilities? I don't know. I mean, everyone has one. It seems like the thing to do. Well, for everybody else, maybe, but, uh, not for you. No? No. Mm. What's your name? Joe. Russ. Joe? Let me tell you what you're looking for. <laughs> I'm not looking for anything in particular. Sure you are. I am? Mm-hmm. I can see it in your eyes. A lot of guys come in here, Joe. They want to get rid of the family car. They don't want to be associated with the station wagon image. So they come in here, they buy one of these shiny new sport utilities because it pretends it's not a family car. <laughs> it pretends to be hip and young. But let me tell you something, Joe. You still wind up hauling those kids to soccer practice. Well, I kind of like taking my kids to soccer practice. Oh, I know you do. You do? Oh, you're proud of it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm proud of it. I, I'm looking for maybe just something a little younger. Mm, you know? Yeah, now you're seeing it. A yeah. little newer, a little fresher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sports car, Viper, maybe a Porsche. <laughs> I think I'd look good in one of those, yeah. huh? <laughs> no. 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 Why, why not? Joe, you need a car that understands you. You see, you need that cup holder to be in the exact same spot it's always been in. Yeah. You need that engine to purr the way it did the first night you took her out. You need everything to be exactly the same. Yeah, you're right, I do love that old car. Do love it, boy, the seats are just the right height. I know exactly how to take every curve. And... Oh, it's a great feeling, isn't it? <laughs> it's great, it's great. Ah, thanks a lot, Russ. I guess I don't need anything new. Whoa. I didn't say that. You need something new. I do? You do. But you said I need something comfortable. You do? I do. Tell me something, Joe, what year is your car? 1990. 19... Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe! That car's almost 10 years old. Oh. Come here, buddy. Take a look at that. Oh. 1998. 98. Uh-huh. Four-door sedan. Look where that cup holder is. Oh, I can almost feel my hand reaching for that cup. You need this car, Joe. You need everything to look the same and feel the same, but just newer, better, prettier, younger. You're right. I need to buy this car. No. 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 Lease. Lease. Lease, Lease. Joe. <laughs> you need to be free, Joe. Free. You don't need to be tied down to some car that's going to decrease in value every year. You want to bring that car back in here every two years and trade it in for the exact same car, only newer. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's exactly what I want. That's exact. That's what I've been wanting my whole life. Mm-hmm. Old. But new. The same. But different. Looks like your car, feels like your car. But, Joe, it doesn't have the dents and the scratches yeah. that your car has, huh? It doesn't remember the time you let that shopping cart slam into her side. Oh, when I sped on the curve there and bent the axle. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say, Joe? You ready to trade up? Chapter 5, as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount, and you will see parallels to human relationships. Because nowadays, we are building relationships with limited warranties. You see, Jesus saw that we were people who always wanted more. We are people 
who covet. In, in these first two or three uh, lines of, of, of this Sermon on the Mount, he has talked about uh, the coveting aspect. It is very important to understand and admit that we are always people who want more. It says in Jeremiah 6.13, from the very least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. The King James Version says covets. Everyone wants more. And look at what else it says. It says, and from the prophet even to the priest. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how much you love God. You're still wired to want more. And it is very much the case that when we want more, we believe, like the prodigal son, it's outside of what we have right now. And so, both in uh, the grammatic structure of this passage and in its feel, this week's sermon on divorce is very much linked to last week's sermon on lust. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in verse 31, and it was said, in other words, a very simple transition. There's no big different thought here. And, he says, just talking about lust, and it was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now this is Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses gives a reluctant permit for those who are divorcing their wives for the protection of the wife. Because see, if you didn't have this permit, the wife was left in a very vulnerable position. And so... Moses said, "Whoever sorry, the, the Scripture says, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, Jesus says, let every, that, everyone, that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus, right here, does a couple of things. First of all, he says, look, I want you to know that the very reason for divorce is not a mechanical reason, it's a personal reason. And that is, we want another relationship. Second, I want you to know that we're not even going to talk. We're not even going to go into the legal reasons about this. We're not going to concentrate on how the law says. What we're going to concentrate is people. Because I don't want you to think about divorce, I want you to think about people. And I want you to think that when this takes place, it's not about what you could do that was permissible. It's about what happens with the people who are left, the second and third generation. What happens with the consequences of that? Now, if you will turn to, with me to Matthew chapter 19, you will see where Jesus treats this subject even more fully. Chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 3, he is approached by the Pharisees and they say, some Pharisees came to him testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And I want you to see, they are concentrated on the mechanics. Usually when people have a question about divorce in the church, it's a mechanical question. What can I do and still be okay with God? It's a mechanical question. Now Jesus walked in a culture that is more like ours than ours has been for the past 2,000 years. He walked into a culture 
where everyone had the highest ideal of marriage. But the reality of marriage fell very much short of that ideal. And so people got very discouraged and they were looking for someone else. In the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, there grew two schools. As predictable, there was a conservative school, the Shammai, and a liberal school, the Hillel. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, if any man finds something that is a distraction or something that is, um, let's turn to it. I just lost the word. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. It says, And when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that he finds no favor, she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her. Now, the conservative school says that indecency can only be a sexual problem, adultery in other words. That's the only way to interpret that. Otherwise, people be divorcing people all over the place for any reason. The liberal school, the Hillel school, said, no, I mean, how can you rank sin? How can you rank indecency? How can you rank disfavor? You can't be ranking these things. I mean, all of them are pretty well equal. You can't say this is more important. This is so, so it really has to be for anything. So by the time Jesus walked on the earth, guess which school had grown the most rapidly and was the most popular? Well, it was the Hillel school. It was overwhelmingly the most popular. As a matter of fact, people were divorcing their spouses simply because they didn't like them anymore. They did something, anything, to displease them. As a matter of fact, people in this culture were so afraid because the divorce rate was growing so rapidly that they would have to go through divorce that they were not getting married so that they wouldn't have to take the chance of suffering the pain of divorce. Does that sound like any culture you know? That is our culture, isn't it? And so therefore, Jesus comes on the scene. The Pharisees want to know the mechanics of this thing. How does this thing work? Jesus does not address the mechanics because He knows in the depth the mechanics are not the problem. The mecha- it's not about what you can legally get away with, either legally or, rich or, or religiously. That's not the point. Jesus goes right back to the ideal. Look at Matthew chapter 19. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, I never thought there'd have to come a day in my ministry where I'd have to emphasize that. But there is a day. From the beginning, he made them male and female and said, For this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and consequently they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus said, let's not talk mechanics. Let's talk ideal. When did you give up on God's ideal for your life? When did you say, you know what, I know God had a dream for me, but I don't think He can accomplish it 
from here on out. Jesus said, I don't want to talk about mechanics. I want to talk about what God always had for you and still has for you. That's what I want to talk about. Now he realized that they were not going to listen until he addressed that question. And so he faced that culture of divorce and said this. We'll come back to the ideal in just a second. Verse 7, And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce. Now I want you to see what Jesus did right there. He corrected the command part. God never commands divorce. That's, a, that's, a, that's a too positive, that, that's too assertive. He said, because you had the hardness of heart you did, Moses permitted it in order to cause the least possible damage. Moses permitted divorce, but from the beginning it was not, it has not been this way. Jesus says, don't lose sight of the beginning. And then he says this, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality. Now, Jesus just did take a side, but that's not his concentration. And he sided with the conservative Shammai school that says, that says, indeed, the only understandable reason, the only permissible reason for, for a divorce is, is uh, 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 adultery. But he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, what he's saying is this. This is not a mechanical question. I know who people are. And I know that people don't just divorce out of the blue. People divorce in order to trade up. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another, those go together. Divorce comes right after, in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage on lust. In 27 years of ministry, I have never talked to a couple where one of the people in that relationship were wanting to go toward divorce and did not have someone as an alternative in mind. Either because that person really existed or that person existed in fantasy. But this is not a mechanical thing. We are people who love variety, and if this isn't working, let's try this. And that's what Jesus was saying. And that's where we are in our culture. We are, we, are, we are people who think that we can trade up for better relationships, who, who think that, that the answer lies somewhere out there. Did you read the paper this week? There's a man who, who was married 26 times, and he died. If anything will kill you, that would. 26 times. And two weeks later, no one has come to claim the body. What a great picture of the fruit of variety. We have, in that same paper, there's an article of movement in some legislatures now to have two kinds of marriage certificates issued. One is the kind we have right now. Kind of the, well, go out and get them. Uh, but if there's a divorce, no fault. The other, the newer one, the conservative one, says, let's make this thing a little tougher. Let's, make, let's put some teeth in this lifelong deal. 
and make divorce a lot more complicated. Now, of course, the ACLU is all against this, but, but what they're doing is saying, let's have, let's have one that, that would really mean it. I wonder if a certificate will do it. No, I don't. A certificate won't because it's not about mechanics. It's about the mentality that we have. And it's about the different ways that we leave ourselves options in this society because we are so afraid of the failure of the ideal that we will not stick with it long enough. We have come to a place in our society where we have begun to believe that it is the abundance of relationships that really makes for the fullness of life. If you will read with me in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus answers this temptation. We always think, you know, it's probably the abundance of money that makes life easy. And so we always pass over this passage thinking it's about money. There are two brothers that come to him and, and they're saying, Master, we want you to divide our inheritance for us so we won't fight about it. Jesus doesn't even get into it. He says, it's not the mechanics of that that's going to make you happy. As a matter of fact, he says, I see something in your hearts I want you to be aware of. In verse 15, he says to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You know that stands for people as well as money. It doesn't matter how many people you can get to love you. That's not going to be your satisfaction. It doesn't matter how many people you can get to be attracted. That's not, that's not what's going to make you satisfied. And Jesus says that from the very beginning. But we are still a culture that is continually adjusting to this mentality. Even the church is beginning, the liberal uh, uh, arm of the church is beginning to make ceremonies. Now, the ceremonies, to put it the best possible light on this, are to ease the pain of divorce. Listen, Nobody is more, is, is more against divorce than people who've gone through divorce. You people know what that is. You know how wrenching and how no win that situation is. And so the church wants to ease the pain. But what the church has done, or some arms of the church, is begun, it's begun to, to build ceremonies to fit the mentality of divorce. What if this doesn't work out? There are some ceremonies now that say, instead of, as long as we both shall live, they say, as long as we both shall love. Well, how long does it take you after that ceremony to get up and not feel love? What, one, two days? You're just, you're just, got, you're just in a bad mood? What happens to the marriage? As long as we both shall love? Secretary of State Bill Bennett went to one of those recently where they, where they did that vow. As long as we both shall love. And he writes, I felt like for a wedding gift, I should send them paper plates. <laughs> the church is beginning to say, well, maybe we should have a ceremony for divorce. This is happening in several of the mainline denominations. Maybe we should have a ceremony for divorce so that people can be free and people could, be, people could bring presents and celebrate this new growth in life uh, just like they did when they got married. You see, we're trying to adopt a society to something that will never make us happy. We're trying to, we're trying to deal with the mechanical uh, improvements. But the mechanical improvements won't, won't help in, in these three counties 
when somebody gets a divorce. Before, now, now before you get a divorce, if you have children under the age of 14, you have to go to a divorce class. I think that's a pretty good idea. And in this divorce class, they try to make you more sensitive. This is Orange, Seminole, and I think at Osceola counties. Uh, and until you go through this divorce class and get the certificate, you can't get a legal divorce. So what do they teach you about this? Well, I happen to, I, I cut out a copy, reading a, a Central Florida magazine, family magazine, and uh, this was the, this is basically kind of the mentality they try to teach you in here. Uh, in order to, to build successful parenting skills uh, in the midst of divorce, here's what they say. Number one, be committed to finding solutions that everyone can live with. Now, that, that's a good idea, isn't it? Sure is. Number two, focus on meeting your children's needs first. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Number three, find ways to reduce the adult conflict in your children's experience. Well, that's a very good idea. Number four, make sure that the agreement is clear and detailed. And number five, expect the agreement to need modifications over time. All of these are great ideas. I've just got one question. Do you think if people had the ability to do this, they would have gotten divorced in the first place? Isn't this what's required for marriage? Where are we missing? See, it's not the mechanics of this deal. It's, it's, it's thinking that another person can answer those deep needs that God made you to answer with one, not two, one. Let's talk for a while about starting from where you are right now and depending on the promise of God. Some of you have given up already thinking, you know what, God's never going to give that to me. I just can't get there from here. When did God give up on that? When did He toss His hands in the air and say, you know what, I, I guess I'm not God anymore. I guess you are. I can't make that thing happen anymore. Do you know that in Philippians 1.6, where it says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, we always use that verse toward individuals. You know this book wasn't written for an individual? This book was written for a group of people. The book was written for a church. And so therefore, this applies to relationships. He who began a good work in you is able to bring it to perfection. God can do that. Now, let's, like Jesus, talk about what God built us for, the ideal relationship, because I don't want to spend more time on the inadequacies of divorce than I do on the perfection of a relationship. How many of you would love to have with one other person in this world something that is so rich and so deep that you would never need to look around again. Because that's what God wants you to have. That's His love for us. That's who He is for us. That's who we are to Him. That's what He has for, for each other. And so therefore, God has this grandparent long-term thing available for us all. How many of you had grandparents that lived together for years and years, fit, married 50, 60 years, and, 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 they, and they somehow stayed together? They weren't the same people. They just somehow stayed together. How many of you 
would love to have that kind of relationship instead of, as the years go around, look around more as the years go along. You look to her or to him more. How many of you would like to have a fantasy in your life that if your spouse died, you could never love again? You see, that's the opposite of what the culture says. But there is so rich, so deep a love that God has that kind of love for us. I think it was uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that wrote a sonnet for his departed wife. And and the the title was A Cross of Snow. I, I, I love it. It says, In the long and sleepless watches of the night, a gentle face, the face of one long since dead, looks at me from the wall where round its head the night lamp casts a pale halo of light. Here in this room she died. And no more white a soul through martyrdom ever could be led to its repose nor in books could be read the legend of a life so benedite. There is a mountain in the distant west that, sun-denying in its deep ravines, displays a cross of snow upon its side, such as the cross I wear upon my breast these 18 years. Through all of the changes and scenes, changeless since the day she died, what we have is a man who loved a woman so deeply, there is no other woman for him. I want that kind of love. That's the kind my grandparents had. I want, if God gives Beck and I the years together, I want to spend those years toddling around together and wiping stuff off each other. At that moment. I want to talk about her to the grandkids when she gets up and leaves the room. I'm worried about your grandmother. She doesn't look good to me. I want her to say the same about me. I want the kind of of love that, that is so rich that if she dies before I do, I'll just never be much good for anybody else. I'll continue to do what I can while I'm here, but I'll be on hold until... We can worship God again together. I want that. I want the richness of a love like that. And that's what God is building in me. And that's what God intends to build in you from where you are right now. Friday 
we went to the gym together. <laughs> Not a pretty sight. <laughs> and I crawled on a step machine, the torturous, horrible things. And Beck was about four bicycles down, just riding. About 20 minutes into this thing, I was in agony. And in walked this young, sleek, firm, tan, beautiful girl and climbed on the step machine right behind Beck. I looked down there and I found something very interesting. I could not take my eyes off my wife. I appreciated her beauty more than I ever had. I, I, this poor young thing just hadn't come to the place yet where she had a, the real prizes of beauty. She, she was all rayoned and spandexed. <laughs> and that's okay. But she hadn't come to the place yet where you just don't waste money on a workout outfit. You just kind of got this generic flower thing going. Because <laughs> you put all your money into your kids and into the people at church that really need it. She hadn't come to the place yet where she'd lost that firmness in the, in the favor of a body that had borne three children. Three children and spent all of that energy loving them and raising them. wasn't her fault. She just hadn't come to that point of beauty yet. She was still all smooth skin. She hadn't yet earned the wrinkles and the furrows that come with spending night after night losing sleep because you got a sick kid or you're worried about your husband working too hard. Wasn't her fault. She just hadn't reached that point of beauty yet. I could not take my eyes off my wife. We got home and I said, hey Beck, did you see that girl? Did you notice the, the girl on the step machine right behind you? Becky said, no, did you? I said, well, only for a second. <laughs> I said, I couldn't take my eyes off you. She said, well, if I'd have known you were looking, I'd have set up a little straighter. <laughs> and I'd have pedaled a little harder. I said, that's the point. You have poured so much of your life into us. You haven't got enough energy to set up straight or pedal hard. <laughs> God has for us, as 1 Corinthians 13 would say, a love that believes all things and bears all things and hopes all things and endures all things. A love that never fails. God, we want the kind of love that Jesus had. So focused, so long-term, 
never giving up. We know, Lord God, that that is your character. And that is the fulfillment you have for us. And so we ask you today, from now on, help us to pour our lives into those you've given us, to love them deeply and richly. Thank you that your love and mercies are new every morning, and we don't have to change God's to find that out. Thank you that your love and mercies are new every morning, and we don't have to change partners to find that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.